Redeemed Church, let me hear y'all make some noise for the Lord up in here. Yes, indeed. Woo! Come on, show Big Al some love. Don't you appreciate that? That was awesome, man. Awesome. Hey, you can be seated. We're going to let uh, Al catch his breath here. We're having church today. How many know this is church? Lifting Jesus up. I want you to also receive a gift from this man. I was just getting to know him, met him when Michelle Lang was leading worship, and he came and performed. So a lot of you guys that raised your hand weren't here for that. But this guy is multi-talented. He's the producer of a radio program. He's a speaker. He's a preacher. He shared the stage with Lecrae, Boys to Men, Ruben Stuttered, Andy Minio. He's a talented dude, but he's a man of faith, and he's a family man. Uh, so music doesn't define him. He's in town. I asked if he could bring the word. And I want you just to prepare your hearts to receive the truth of Scripture from one of God's vessels who's been out there reaching people for so many years. Can we pray for Al right now as he comes to bring the word? Father, we just thank you for our brother. We ask that right now you'd prepare our hearts, you'd prepare our minds, and that, God, we would be able to receive the gift that you've pl placed inside of him, that the word of God would come forth and minister to each one of us as we need. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Thank you, man. Thank you, Amen. Can we thank the Lord for Pastor Dave tonight? Amen. I tell you, I really am excited to be here. And um, when I did get a chance to come here this summer, when I was uh, here with uh, a friend of mine, Michelle Lang, and the, the reception here and the greeting was overwhelming for me. Um, I did not know. Just being honest, I, I get a little nervous sometimes when I go to new audiences because it's like, mm, you know, you see the big burly black man, you know, and all the time, you don't, you know, when you see people, you don't see their personality. You just see big black dude. So you're like, what's his problem? You know, it's just kind of what it is. <laughs> but I came here and I'll never forget, I came through the back door and, um, and I watched the worship team get set up and I simply had to go to the restroom. And I walked out into that lobby. And as soon as I walked out, the nicest people in the world greeted me. And y'all made me feel like I was not far away from home. And I want to say thank you to Redeemed Church for that. So thank you so much. And thank you to Pastor Dave and Connie, Kurt and Meg, and all the leaders and staff here. I certainly appreciate you all for allowing me to come and share this morning. Um, I told Pastor Dave, and I'll let y'all know this real quickly, I have a few of these CDs. I know that's kind of antiquated, but for those of you who still have CD players like myself, I have a few uh, here today for sale if you would like to get some after service. Um, if you have your Bibles, we're going to go to the book of Philippians chapter 3. You know, I'm, I told you I'm trying to do this uh, weight loss workout thing again. And uh, when I was in school, I, I, I was somewhat of an athlete. Um, my biggest problem uh, for my position is the fact that I'm short. You know, and it's really challenging because my dad is six, three and a half. My older sister is five, nine and a half. My younger sister is five, 11. I am five, don't worry, but this is where I'm at. And um, I went to this um, historically black college and university, Grambling State University. And uh, yeah, and as Dave was telling you, um, 
I was very fortunate to receive my undergraduate um, degree there. I have a bachelor's of science in pure mathematics. And uh, from there, I decided to uh, teach school. Um, I was scared to move. I had a job offer at the Pentagon. And uh, that was, it was kind of, I'm from the country. So I was scared to leave, but I wanted to make a difference. And I had been called to ministry. And so I decided, well, you know what? Being a school teacher would give me an extension of a reach to the youth in my area. Uh, and I decided to go back and get an alternative teacher certificate. And I taught calculus and trigonometry for 13 years. So, so um, I say that real quickly to get that out of the way, because here's what I want to do. I want to dispel two myths. One, just because I do the form of music that I do doesn't mean I'm some bumbling idiot with no education. I want to make sure that we understand that. The only reason why I do it is because it's what I'm called to do. I'll be honest in telling you that. If you ask me what are my favorite genres of music, I'm going to tell you simply gospel, R&B, and country. Now, I don't know if y'all listen to country music that much here in Tacoma, but Keith Urban is my man. I think Brad Paisley has the best hands to ever touch a guitar. I'm being honest. But I used to listen back in the day, and my mom and them used to talk about me all the time because I was crazy about Conway Twitty. Y'all don't know nothing about Somebody knows. Y'all don't understand. I was crazy about Conway Twitty growing up. And uh, yeah, it was, it was a weird, I had a weird childhood. And you're gonna hear some of that today. But in trying to get into this workout thing, when I was in high school, one of my coaches, our strength and conditioning coach, he was the most insane man I'd ever met. But he could make you feel like you could run through a brick wall and it'd be okay. And one day we started doing our circuit training where we were gonna max out on all of the weights, on all the weight stations. And we got to the bench press. And <laughs> my bench press max at the time was 165. Even though I was a big boy, that bench press was killing me. Now my squat was amazing. Bench press was horrible. But today, he said he was going to make me do something I'd never done before. So we get there, and I get down on the bench, and all of a sudden, he says, load up 175, 175, bing, bing. They start slapping the plates on. And so he was like, Jerry, you can do it. You can do it. I was like, I can't do it. <laughs> so I lined up my fingers on the bar. Uh, give it to me. They gave it to me. I was like, man. Everybody goes crazy. It's like, ah. So everybody's going crazy. And then coach says, line up 195, baby. They're 195. Bing, bing, bing. So he's part the place on. And we continue to go until I'm at 235. I'm at 235. And he says, I believe you can do it. Do you believe? And he let a tear fall out of his eye. I'm not lying. His name is Gary Hines. We call him Cat. He had a tear fall out of us. I believe you can do it. I was like, I believe, I believe. And I got down, 235. <laughs> give it to me. They gave it to him. Pop. Everybody goes crazy. He says, load 245. And bing, bing, they load it up. And I get down, I line up. He was like, Jerry, you get that. Everybody screaming, go, go, go. And I was like, give it to me. They popped up. Get it, get it, get it, get it. And they had to rescue me because I was about to kill myself. So, 
Well, I was so amazed. I was so happy with myself. I was like, you know, here we go. So I started back working out not too long ago. And I was like, let me get on this bench press. What's up? Talk to me. And I'm in the gym by myself. I don't know if y'all ever seen the episode of, have y'all ever seen Bad Boys, the original movie? When Martin Lawrence decided he was going to bench press without any help? I did with 135. 135, that's 245 plates, one on each end. Y'all, I took it off and I put it on my chest and all I could do was pray, Lord, there's nobody to help me. Please, if you will. It was hard to get that weight off me and the only way I could do it was to press. To get the weight off of me, I had to press which leads me to the scripture. Philippians chapter three, starting at verse 12. And I'm gonna read it in the King James Version, so please forgive me. But it says, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Verse 13, Paul says, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let me explain something to you. When I'm reading this scripture and I'm reading the story and this letter that Paul is writing, Paul is basically telling everybody, you know what? I was a heathen. I was a person that persecuted the church. I was a person who had these incredible accolades if you're looking at it from society standards. He said, but you know what? Now that I follow Christ, I realize none of that matters. The only thing that matters to me is making sure that I live a life that is pleasing to the Lord. That I live a life that is going after him like nothing I've gone after before. And, and he used that word. He said, I press. Let me explain something to you, to you about pressing. You cannot have a press if you don't have resistance or of opposition. You can't have a press. I, used to, I remember when there were older people when I was growing up, they would say, I had to press my way to church. And I was like, how? I mean, you just come. <laughs> No, seriously, that's how I felt. Like I say, how are you pressing the church? It's come. Driver walk, you're right here. But as I got older, I started to realize that there are some things in this life that will oppose you or that will be a force against you from doing the things that will cause you to live a life that Christ is pleased with. And because of those things, there comes times in our lives where we have to press. And I promise you, I had to learn, and I am yet learning, how to press. Because that verse right before that, he said this, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting the things which are behind me, reaching forward to the things that are ahead of me. See, I started thinking about Paul. 
and the fact that he, he still has his press. And he talked about his press, but he talked about his press in relation to what was and what shall be. And it made me think about Big Al. So if you don't mind this morning, you don't know me, and I want to introduce myself. My name is Alfred Cherry Jr. I am the product of a broken home. My mom and my dad were married when I was born. My dad left when I was one. They were divorced when I was three. My mom had the incredible responsibility of raising two children on her own. So we ended up moving in with my grandparents. My grandfather died at a, at, when I was a young age. And so now, here I am, a young male in a house with three females. And the most difficult part of that journey at that time was that my dad had remarried and was raising another family in the same community. And I grew to hate my dad. And I hated him because while he was raising this other family, he had a new wife and she had a son. And so his son, who was now his bonus child or his stepson, it was so unique because my academic ability allowed me to get into places where a lot of black kids normally didn't go to in the South. And when I would be in rooms such as this and somebody say, what's your name? I'd say Alfred Cherry Jr. And they say, Alfred Cherry Jr. Do you know the police officer, Alfred Cherry? And I used to sit there like, duh, we have the same name. <laughs> and then I heard this for the first time. I thought he only had one son. So it started to create this hate for my father when I was very young. And my mom now was a single, black, smart woman. And I tell people, you, you know, it, I don't know if y'all, especially you guys who've grown up and those of you who are teenagers now, I don't know if y'all have friends whose moms are incredibly gorgeous. And like when their moms come around, you just become like the best child in the world. But when they leave, you look at your friend like, dude, your mom, bro, I swear. Like, you know, and he's like, shut up, shut up. But I'm like, bro, your mom, I promise you, boy, I swear. <laughs> well, my mama wasn't like that. But my mama wasn't ugly. My mama wasn't... She was all right, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, she all right. So because my mom was all right, and she was single and young and black, she decided to get into the dating game. So she started dating a guy. She had been dating him for quite a while. And then one day he came home to visit us. He came home to meet us. So when he came home, this guy, from the day he walked in the door, I was in love with him because he walked in with food in his hand. Now listen to me, listen. You don't understand, you don't understand. You don't understand. He came to the door 
with a Burger King bag. But it wasn't the bag that you know how they have it and they fold the top down and then they give it to you like that, thank you for coming. No, he came with one that had handles on it. Like he had some luggage in there. I was like, hey, what you got, buddy? He walks in the door, it's like he's like, he's like leaning a little bit, like from Burger King? So he walked in the door, I was like, what's happening? He sits the bag on the table, and of course, chubby kid goes immediately to the bag. I didn't even speak to him. I just went to the bag, opened it up, and I looked in there, and I was like, math mind, there were five Whoppers and five fries. So I counted them out. I said, Grandma, Mama, Keisha, me. <laughs> so I said, excuse me, sir, who is the extra burger for? And he was like, that's for you, big man. Score. <laughs> I love him. So I thought, I love him. I, lo I love him. So this guy started coming around and he taught me so many things. He taught me how to play a lot of games. He taught me how to play spades, backgammon, hunger, hunger, hippo, scrabble, chess. No, for real. This man was teaching me everything. I was, this guy is great. So one day, my sister and I got into cahoots and we rolled up on our mom and we was like, hey, mom. She was like, what? We was like, marry him. <laughs> and my mom was like, get out of my face. And we was like, okay. About a month or so later, we talked about it again. So we go to my mom, we're like, mom, marry him. Then she said, did I tell y'all to stay out of my face? Yes, ma'am. So we had a couple weeks, she was having a good day and we went in on her, we was like, mama, marry him. And then she was like, I can't marry him. We was like, why? She was like, because he's married. I said, they could do that in Louisiana. They could, they could have two. I didn't know we, we're a polygamy state. Like, that's why I was tripping. I was just, I didn't know. And so my mom realized we had grown this attachment to him and she had to end the relationship. Which honestly, she probably never should have been in to begin with. But it was another heartbreak for us. So my mom's back single. She's single for a long time. Then she started dating again. And she started dating another guy. She dated him for a long, long time, long, long time before she decided to bring him home. She brings him home to meet us one day. And from the day he walked in the door, I hated him. Because you know how he came in the door. Empty-handed. I was like, boy, you don't know what's happening. Huh? So he walked in. And when he walked in, I just got to be honest, he, he started trying to impress us off the bat. Now, Pastor Dave was telling y'all about, I'm just going to date myself, you don't know. He came in trying to impress us by breakdancing. <laughs> so for those of y'all don't know, y'all call that ticket now, you know, so he came in all it. I was like, man, if you don't sit down somewhere. He got on the, got on the floor and did the, the centipede. He did the rocking chair. I was like, oh, no, 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 no. That's as bad as like somebody dating your mom and they come in like renegade. Ren and you're like, no, bro, no. <laughs> like you just imagine somebody come to date your mom and they're like, hey, do you have TikTok? Like you want to do a TikTok dance together? And you're like, chill. <laughs> so I'm just being honest. So he came in with that and I was like, this is not working for me. So then he decided to crack a joke. He told a joke about my dad. And I looked at him, I was like, mm-hmm. I looked at my sister, mm-hmm. Because in my mind, I was like, you can 
I can talk about my dad. But you? Who are you? So he told a joke. I was like, mm mm, mm mm. Then he kept trying to carry a conversation with me. Hey, buddy. Hey, big man. How you doing? Hey, buddy. Hey, guy. Hey, hey big fella. Hey, he kept on, and I couldn't take it anymore. Now I'm going to ask a question to redeem church this morning, and I don't want you to lie in church today, okay? If you're in this church, no matter how old you are, and you have a smart mouth, please raise your hand if you have a smart mouth. Oh, okay, yeah. Well, let me just tell you this. When I was young, I had an incredibly intelligent mouth. So I couldn't take it anymore, and I looked at him, and I said, excuse me, sir, but if the height of your intellect is to carry a conversation with a seven-year-old boy, you need to leave my mama alone. And my mama said, go, go, gadget arm. And slapped me right in the mouth. And she was like, don't you ever disrespect an adult like that. I was like, yes, ma'am, but it felt good. You know what I'm saying? I was like, I'm not, it's nothing. Well, eventually, you know what happened? She fell in love with him. She did. She came to us this time, my older sister and I. And she said, hey, I just want to let y'all know that David and I are getting married. And I'm the shortest in my family. So when she said that, I did what I normally do. I looked at my big sister. And my big sister said, I don't care. You're grown. You can do whatever you want to do. I was like, yeah, we'll, Keisha, we care. We care. We do. Then my sister said, I don't care. Mama grown. She can do what she want to do. Hey, Keisha, we need to talk. And she's like, mama is grown, boy. And I was like, yeah, you grown. Well, we need to talk. So we go into the room and we confer. And she convinces me, mama's in love. Mom's going to get married. Cool. So my mom's going to get married. We find out a few months later, my mom is pregnant. She got pregnant a few weeks before they got married. And three weeks before they were to get married, we were at home one night. And we were all sitting there. And we were eating. My sister and I, we were eating our favorite food. And when, when big people eat, their favorite food is a lot of emotion going on. Occasional sinking. <laughs> Enjoying it. So my mom is in the living room on the phone with one of her girlfriends for work. And I don't know if they talk like, here, like that in Tacoma. But back home, this is how the conversation was going. I promise to the Lord, if she says something stupid to me at work tomorrow, I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to lose my job because I'm, I'm tired. I don't like the job anyway. If that girl come in my face tomorrow saying something dumb, I promise to God I'm going to lose my job. And so this is what's happening. Normal conversation back home. So we're eating chips and hamburgers and fries and stuff. And so my stepdad comes in through this kitchen door. He walks in through the door. He was like, what's up, y'all? He was like, what's up, Dad? He was like, no, you know what I'm saying? So he goes into the living room. And he's looking at my mom. My mom says, hey, David. And so she's still talking. I promise you, if she says one stupid thing to me tomorrow at work, I'm going to lose my job. Here's not going to happen. So my stepdad's just standing beside the chair watching her talk on the phone. And she's like, I promise you. I don't, uh, but I don't care. There's, I don't care about the job. So she's talking. He's looking. She's talking. He's looking. And out of nowhere, he says, Poof. and he hit my mom directly in the face. He hit her so fast and so hard that she rolled onto the ground lifeless. We had never seen anything like this before in our house. So now, I smiled because he didn't know what was about to happen. See, I was the baby, but he didn't understand my older sister is 100% thug. <laughs> so she moved the kitchen table. And then she said, 
when she started sucking the ketchup off her fingers, I knew what was about to happen. I was like, somebody get me a pom-pom, give me some skirts, let me cheer this on. Because all I was going to do was be in the corner. Get him, Keisha. Get him. That's all I got. So all of a sudden, my sister walks into the kitchen, into the living room, and she pushes him so hard. And she says, don't be hitting on my mama. She's not your punching bag. And he swings at my sister like she's a grown man, like Tyson Fury swung last. (laughs) But my sister said, what? (laughs) And like a street fighter, she came out of nowhere. You can and it started. And man, they were in the mix. And I was in the corner. Get him! Get him! That's all I had. But then immediately she, I think it dawned on my stepdad. This is a little girl that I'm fighting. Well, so he stepped back, knocks her down. So guess whose turn it was? So I went and got, at the time, stepson's favorite weapon, a broom. And uh, I had more bark than bite. So I came out. Ah! And all of a sudden, he just mushes me in the face. I hit the ground. By that time, my grandmother was coming up the hallway. I didn't tell you about my grandmother, but now it's my time. My grandmother is half Native American, half Caucasian. She's got these Shakira hips don't lie. When she walks, one stays over here for about five seconds. So she's come sashaying up the street. And so when she got to the, to the edge of the hallway, she, in her broken English, says, what is y'all doing in here? And my stepdad says, Ms. Alice, you need to go back to your room. And she said, no, you need to get out of my house. And from behind her back, she pulled a machete. And I said, dude, where you get that big old knife from? I had no idea she slept with it under her mattress every night. She was a savage. Nobody knew. So he was like, Ms. Alice, I respect you. And he left. And I was like, yes. Woke my sister up. Hey, you want to go live with dad? And she was like, mm-hmm. I said, let's go pack our clothes. So we started packing our clothes. And as we were packing our clothes, we heard the door open. And we felt the wind of a belt before we saw it. My mom came in. And she spanked us. And she gave us two words or two statements that no matter where I am in the country, I know some people can identify with them. The first one she said was, stay out of grown folks' business. The second statement she said, and don't y'all tell nobody because what goes on in this house stays in this house. Now, I couldn't believe it. So that night I go to sleep and I'm having nightmares over and over of what just took place in our house. I wake up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat and I have to go to the restroom. I go to the restroom and as I'm going across the hallway, I see the silhouette of a person in the living room and I get immediately terrified. So I go back in the room and I wake my sister up. I say, Keisha, somebody's in the living room. And she said, who is it? I said, I don't know. Then she said, well, turn the light on. I said, I'm scared. So she said, wait a minute. So she grabbed her clarinet case and she was like, all right, on three. Turn the light on. One, two, three. And my stepdad was sitting in the living room. Three weeks later, they got married. And on their wedding photos, I literally looked like this. (laughs) My mom was pinching me the entire time. Fix your face. (laughs) I hated it. I did. 
We didn't know until two weeks after they got married. Uh, one night, my stepdad didn't come home. And our street address was in the newspaper the next morning next to his name and an arrest record for possession of crack cocaine and marijuana with intent to distribute. We had no idea that my stepdad was a drug addict, a drug dealer, and an alcoholic. And so now, here we are in a situation where <laughs> we were seeing and witnessing and being victims to emotional, physical, and verbal abuse. Unfortunately for me, I learned how to fight by fighting my stepdad. One day, when we had a real hard falling out and we put him out the house, I was nine years old, I looked at the refrigerator and I noticed something. This was the day that I made the dumbest decision of my life. I looked in the refrigerator and I saw that he had left a case of beer. And I stole a can and I ran into the backyard and I drank it. And for some reason I said, this is good. And I went and got eight more cans. In one setting at the age of nine years old, I consumed nine cans of beer and it created an insatiable appetite in me to have to have alcohol every single day. So by the time I made it to junior high school, I was a functioning alcoholic. But I stopped drinking beer. I was drinking literally a pint of Jack Daniels every single day. And I made straight A's in school. Nobody knew except for my friends, none of my teachers, none of my family knew that I was drinking every single day because I hit it with two things. One, I had a 4.0 GPA. And two, these dimples. Don't, don't look at them too hard. They'll get you in trouble. <laughs> Nobody looked beyond my grades or my personality to know that I was hurting. And I needed help. It was creating some weird stuff in me. And I'm growing day by day more hatred for my dad because he's excelling in his career as a police officer and my stepmother's excelling in her career as a police officer and then they had another child and now I have a younger sister and so all this stuff is happening. My mom had had another child and I have a younger brother and it's like I was getting lost in the shuffle and I was the one who was making all these great grades and I was the one that they were sending to all these programs to be a part of things and, and my family was never there to support me. And so my mom developed a gambling addiction to cope with the fact that my stepdad was always in and out of jail. And one day she got herself in trouble by stealing money from her job. And she fled the state with my baby brother. And we didn't know where they were for almost a week. And while I was in math class one day, I was 15 years old, and all of a sudden I get a phone call they get a phone call to the school. They call me out of my class. I go down. I answer the phone. It's my aunt. She's calling from Waxahachie, Texas. And she says, hey, I just want to let y'all know that your mom is here with me. She's okay. Your mom and your little brother, they're fine. I say, yes, ma'am. Thank you for calling me. That day I decided not to ride the bus home. I walked home. I walked home and I walked in through the living room door, walked in through the kitchen, and I went to the utensil drawer. And I pulled out the biggest, sharpest blade that we had in our kitchen. And I attempted to take my life at the age of 15. 
And as tears were streaming and blood was running down my arm, my grandmother shows up in the kitchen. And in her broken English, she says, now what is you doing? And I looked at her and I said, gee, if this is what living is, I'd rather be dead. Nobody loves me. Nobody cares about me. I said, my teachers don't want me to perform on tests. My mom, my dad don't care about anything that I do. The only person that does care about me is you, and you can't do anything because you're too old. You can't go anywhere. My grandmother in her five-foot frame didn't say anything. She walked over to me, and she reached her arms up in the air, and she put them around my neck. And she just pulled me down and she held me. The day that I was making the most destructive decision of my life, she loved me. She didn't say I was stupid. She didn't say I was making a selfish decision. She loved me in my most broken place. It was that day that I felt the arms of Jesus. That day. It was a love that I could not understand nor comprehend. It was a love that ultimately led to me changing my life. Less than a year later, while I was at school, I happened to walk past the choir room and some kids were playing a song and I walked in and I was jigging. And then I said, wait a minute, man, this church music? And they was like, yeah, you never heard this? Well, I was like, man, we in church music start getting a beat to it. So they was telling me about the, the album, and I was like, yo, I got to get that. So I begged my mom to take me to go and purchase the album. I go to the store, I purchase the album, I go back home, I close the door, and I lock the door because in my house, we only listen to church music on Sundays. But this is a Wednesday. And I put the album on, and I'm listening to it, and I realized I bought the wrong one. But it was the right one for me. Because there was song after song that came on, and I was in my room, and y'all know how you get that thing in your throat? Where you're trying to hold your tears back, you're, try, you're trying to breathe, but you're sitting there. <laughs> the song came on called New Life, and I started to feel what I didn't know at the time, but I know now. I started to feel the presence of the Lord in my bedroom. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to do. All I did was this. I said these words. I said, Lord, whatever this is that I'm feeling, can I feel it every day of my life? And at that moment, in my bedroom, in the house where I experienced every ounce of abuse that you can experience, in the house where I saw my mom beaten, in the house that we had lights turned off constantly, had no food and all this stuff, in that house, the Lord came and met me and saved me. The most unconventional place in the world to experience the power and the presence of God. And it lit a fire in me to start to create music that people could have to where when they weren't around their pastor or around somebody that was churchy, where if they needed to hear something that would encourage them or uplift them or give them hope, they could have it at any given time. So what happened was, these are things that are, are behind me. And Paul said, forgetting those things that are behind me and reaching forward to the things ahead. 
tell you how beautiful God is? My mom gave her life to the Lord a few years ago. And she, yeah. And she sings on the praise team at church. I don't sing anymore, but she fusses at me every Sunday. Can you please not travel this Sunday and sing? No, ma'am, I'm good. You got it. My older sister and my nieces joined our church and they started serving. My dad has become my best friend. Yeah. We like compete in bass fishing tournaments all over the South together. It's like, uh, it's, it's weird. I talk to my dad more than I talk to anybody in my family. He's gotten to a point now, if he doesn't talk to me in more than a day, he'll call with these exact words. Hey man, I'm still alive. And I say, man, I'm trying to see if you're gonna die, baby. I need that insurance. Talk to me, what's that? My stepdad is the weird one. My stepdad and my mom have been estranged now for 20 plus years. But when I see him, it's the weirdest thing every time. Because when he sees me, he hugs me and cries. Now he still drinks, he still does that, but he hugs me and he cries and he just looks at me and he's the same speech almost. Well, I knew he was gonna be something. I, mean, I used to tell your mom when you were growing up, that boy's special. And I was listening to you on the radio the other day, and I was like, man, you say some good stuff. Man, I'm just proud of you. And I was saying, thinking to myself, only God can do that. Only God can do that. And so when I, when I remember all those things that are behind me, it's like forgetting that. I'm reaching toward the day where my stepdad is actually saved. And he's in the church. I'm reaching toward that day when my younger brother is saved and he's in the church. I'm reaching for that day when God uses my family to change this world. I'm reaching for that day. So as much as I'm reaching for that day and I know this is here, I will continue to press. I will continue to press to love my brother and love my stepdad. Because let me tell you something, preaching to them is not going to change them, but love definitely will. And, you know, there was a, an incredible speaker said something some years ago that really changed my life. And I started thinking about this journey, and I want to share this with you, and I just added something. But I want to share this with you this morning. There's this song, Pastor Dave, I don't know if you know it, it was like, everybody take a stand, join the caravan of love. I don't know. She's like, yeah, baby, say that. Say that. <laughs> Are you ready? No, sorry. <laughs> so I think about us as believers. I feel like when we, when we give our lives to the Lord, we get into our car. We get into our vehicle and we start our journey in this caravan. Now, I don't know if you ever paid attention to it, and you may have heard this before, but the smallest piece of glass on a vehicle is the rearview mirror. But the largest piece is the windshield. Now, what's crazy is both of them are in your eyesight. 
But the rearview mirror is not as important as the windshield. The rearview mirror is for you to look up every now and again and see what's behind you. But what's most important is this panoramic view of everything that's in front of you. You know, I haven't, I haven't, I have a memory, so I haven't totally wanted, and if you look at the word forgetting when he was saying that, he's not saying just completely throw it out. It's like, here's the thing, I'm not bound to that anymore. I'm not bound to anything that I've experienced in my life, even the stuff that I experienced last week. I'm not bound to it, but I have a reference to it. I can refer to it, but that's not what I'm going into. What I'm going into is all this beauty that's in front of me. And as we're all on this caravan, please understand that you can reflect, but don't you focus on what's behind you. Because if you focus on what's in that rearview mirror, one, you won't see the beauty of what's ahead, and then two, you can start to affect the people who are behind you. Because your eyes are not on the road, so if you start to wobble or get out of line, the people behind you are gonna follow in suit. Please understand that what's ahead of you is so much greater than what's behind you. So as Pastor Dave is getting ready to come, listen to me very carefully. It is my desire that you understand that in Tacoma, Washington, you're not the only one who's had the struggles. There are some people who are sitting in this room right now who are looking at me like, Al, I hear you, brother. I got a story that'll rock your world. I know you do. And guess where you're at right now? Sitting in this church which means to me that if nothing more, you're surviving it. <clears throat> a high school auditorium is a very unconventional place to feel the power and the presence of God. But can't you feel him? I want you to know that God, as the Bible says, is no respecter of persons. If he can love Big Al through all that he went through, the love that he can have for you and that he does have for you is far more immeasurable. You have no idea of the story that you're sitting beside, the story that you're sitting in front of, the story that you're sitting behind. You have no idea. There are some teenagers in here who are battling for their sanity more than you know. I pray for the youth pastors at this church and I pray for the teenagers and the young adults here because y'all live a pressure that we never experienced. A lot of the times as adults, we say, oh, you guys are so lazy, or you guys are so privileged, or you guys, but you guys are tested in ways that we never imagined. And 
I dare not believe that you need to know that God loves you through it too. But at the same time, there's a married mother in here in her 50s who's trying to find a breath to take to. See, what you have to understand is you are never alone. I'll prove it to you real quick before we pray. If you will be honest in here, and the reason why I shared my story is because one, I want you to know about the incredible saving grace of Jesus Christ. And secondly, I want you to know that I stand before you a two-time suicide survivor. And I didn't even know why God gave me my smile, but he gave it to me to give away. Watch this. If you are in this room and you've ever dealt with the thought of depression and or suicide, simply raise your hand. You see, we are not alone. But you know what? If God can love me through it, he can love you through it. And guess what he's still doing? Loving me through it. Every day of my life, I press towards the mark. I press against every force that doesn't want to see me win. Every force that wants to see me not have life in that more abundantly. And you can do the same. Can we stand? Man, I just want to tell you, I don't, I don't know who you are. I've never met you a day in my life. But I do want to tell you something. Your shoulders weren't built to carry as much as you do. You know? And sometimes the weight of life can even weigh someone like you down. But there was a guy that told me years ago that Jesus Christ is a burden bearer and a heavy load sharer, which means that he could lift. If you, if you allow him and you want him to, he can lift. I want you to realize how great and special you are. And if God didn't send Big Al to Tacoma, Washington for anybody else, he sent me for you for some reason, I don't know. I want you to win. I want you to win big. I want you to win big. Because if God can get me through all that, still taking me through, he can do that and more for you. If it's not too uh, terrible of a situation, you wouldn't mind grabbing the hand of someone or 
putting your arm around someone, or just getting close enough for somebody to feel loved for a minute. Lord, this morning, we thank you for your presence in this room. You do extraordinary things in the most uncommon settings. This morning, somebody is really receiving love into their heart. Somebody is receiving peace into their mind. Somebody is receiving a newness in their relationships. This morning, God, we simply say that we love you and we thank you for loving us beyond every condition that we could ever have and experience. Lord, we know that everything we've gone through is a part of the story that you are writing for us and the half has not been told we know of the good things that you have for us and as we continue to surrender our lives to you we know that life and that more abundantly is before us God I pray that you would encourage every heart in this room to press to live in a life that is pleasing in your sight. Every heart in this room that has been troubled, a mind that has been bogged down with any thought of depression or suicide, we bind it in the name of Jesus. And we speak life. We thank you for this morning we thank you for the love that we feel in this room we thank you for your presence in Jesus name amen amen can we show Al some love for being a vessel God was speaking through today praise God praise God